As we look at Psalm 26 this morning, we look at a passage where David is returned from bringing the ark home uh, at the time that it had been taken by the Philistines and it had been missing for some time. Uh, it is the, the psalm that was written after, as he commemorated that return, he uh, was attacked by his wife Michael because she was embarrassed by the way that he behaved uh, as they brought the ark into the city and he uh, whirled about and he uh, rejoiced and was so overjoyed with the return of the ark uh, of the covenant. Now, that's significant because during the time that the ark was gone, everything remained the same as far as the actions that they took and the things that they did and as far as the tabernacle was still there the tabernacle was still functioning there's no indication that i find in the scripture to where they had suspended the sacrificial system and uh and the worship of god but the ark of the covenant was missing it was in enemy hands and even after it was returned by the enemy for a time because of david's uh, attitude really but toward god and when god struck uzziah for studying it they were transported in the wrong fashion they knew that they were not carrying it the proper way uh and god did what he said he would do if that were to happen and then david was upset with god and he left it uh for i think a period of about three months where it was before he finally got it and brought it back into the city into the tabernacle put it into the holy of holies and uh where it was designed and intended to be uh so the importance and the significance is is that Though the religious aspect of their relationship with God continued, the presence of God was missing. And so there was something terribly, uh, that, terribly wrong in the sense that, uh, that what, what should have been the most important aspect of their whole life was gone. And they were just going through the motions. I think one of the great dangers in church today and in religion today is that we fall into the trap oftentimes of just going through the motions of the Christian life rather than having a real genuine walk with God that impacts us and that, uh, that affects our decision making, that leads our thought processes, that, uh, that governs every aspect of our life. And, uh, and we do things that, uh, that we know are accepted or acceptable to those in whom we interact, but, uh, but we seldom stop and consider what does God really feel about this or how does God think about this or what has God said uh, about this. And so that's what's the, the lead into Psalm 26 is they have returned the ark to its rightful place and with the return of the ark returned the glory of God or the presence of God in their life. And hey, listen, we need the presence of God every time we come together. We need the presence of God from day to day when we live the Christian life. We can live a life in the power of our flesh and we can be defeated or we can live a life in the, under the leadership and the leading and guidance and the power of the Holy Spirit of God, and we can be productive for the cause of Christ. And so Psalm 26 by Israel was used uh, before coming to worship. And so when they uh, would come to worship, one of the psalms that they would often sing on their way to worship, whether it be in a synagogue later on or whether it be in the tabernacle in this setting, they would sing this psalm. It would prepare their hearts. They would reflect on the altar and the importance of the ark being in its proper place and, uh, and how much the presence of God mattered to them. Uh, it was also used as they came to offer sacrifice, especially sacrifice for sin. They would come uh, singing this particular psalm as they, uh, as they got there. And so uh, David has... Uh, has uh, and you see as he expresses here uh, that he he feels what 
Michael has said to him, but yet he, and he feels the criticism of those around him, but yet he says to them, uh, gather not my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloody men, in whose hands is mischief, and their right hand is full of bribes. But as for me, I will walk in mine integrity, redeem me, and be merciful unto me. Uh, and so David is going to and has walked with God. And so what we see uh, in their time is that uh, religious practices had overpowered walk with the Lord and the presence of God in their life. Uh, and I think that we see that in our, in our lives today as well. The importance of the altar uh, has really, truly, it's been lost in many churches today. And an altar can be defined as a lot of different things as far as a material thing in a church. For example, uh, we have kneeling benches up here. I think at some point, uh, as the choir grows, we'll have to expand our platform and those will have to go uh, because there just simply is not going to be room for them here. Uh, and so, uh, and then I can stop worrying about people tripping over them too. Uh, and so I've almost done that once while I was preaching. Uh, uh, and so when I first got here. Uh, but to me... Uh, the altar's always been a place where I come to bring sacrifice of my heart to God, and we'll get to that in a moment. So uh, it's, not, it's not necessary uh, for a church to have a dedicated uh, altar in the sense of uh, we have something that's out of the ordinary that's, that's constructed, like perhaps a kneeling bench or a booth or something like that somewhere. Uh, the pew can serve uh, the steps here at the platform in churches that I've ever been a part of uh, have traditionally been what was referred to and called the altar when the invitation at the end of the service is given and we come to uh, do business with God, really, to, to speak with the Lord uh, as God has spoken to us through the song and through the preaching of the Word of God to solidify uh, commitments. But I think you'll see more than that it's to offer sacrifice. And that's what really and truly an altar is about. It's about, uh, it, it's about uh, offering sacrifice. Uh, and we lose sometimes the importance of that today because we, uh, we are beyond the ceremonial law. God, uh, the, the ceremonial law was fulfilled and then thusly canceled out whenever Jesus rose from the grave and he satisfied all of that. But that does not mean that God is not still looking for sacrifice. It's just that the sacrifice that God is looking for looks different than the sacrifice that they practiced in the Old Testament. I would argue this morning that the sacrifice that God is looking for is no different today than it was then. And I think that we see that and we'll see that as we go through the message this morning. Uh, and so I would say this, that I think that I could make a strong argument that the most important place in a church, aside from the pulpit, is the altar. Now, we do a lot of things here that are important. Uh, the music part of the service is very important. Uh, our outreach ministries, are uh, we're obeying the call of God to uh, get the Great Commission out. Those things are important. Our missions investments are important. All of those things that we do are important. But there is nothing done here more important than the preaching of the Word of God. That is what we're about. That We are a Christ-centric, preaching-centric church. Uh, and we must keep the preaching of the Word of God preeminent. It is the, the preaching of the Word of God that God uses to change lives. He's made that abundantly clear in the scripture if there's a place that could rival the importance it would be the altar it is at the altar where the power of god is found it is at the altar where the decisions that are started in the hearts in the pew through the preaching and the working of the holy spirit are solidified 
in the altar, if I have let myself drift into a mode where I never confirm in my heart in a, in a sacrificial way that which God has spoken to me about, then that decision that I tried to make or began to make in the pew often goes by the wayside as my week progresses. There is much to be said about offering sacrifice to God. And an altar is all about making sacrifice. Now, altars, as I've stated, have been diminished. Now, why is that? Now, this is somewhat speculation on my part, but just four or five thoughts to why maybe the, uh, the altar has diminished in our current days. And I would argue this. I would say that to many, the altar has diminished because it's uncomfortable. And let's face it, it's not comfortable when God has brought you under great conviction in a service to then leave out of your seat and come to an altar and, and, and solidify that commitment to God by offering your heart and your life a living sacrifice. Now, the reason is this, is because when I'm under that kind of conviction, I feel like everybody's watching me. I feel like everybody knows what's going on in my life. I feel like somebody read to the pastor uh, a detailed report of what my activities recently have been. Uh, and I feel as if everyone knows. It's just kind of human nature. But the reality is, is that if you're sitting here this morning or, or you're sitting here at any other service, whether it's here or somewhere else, and you, especially if you're not someone who's, who has uh, been really committed to the Lord and it's kind of new to you and uh, maybe it's a new experience and you feel as, uh, as the Word of God has preached something going on in your heart and in your mind that's just kind of, uh, it's tugging at you, it's beginning to trouble you, it's beginning to trouble your conscience, it's beginning uh, to make you really think differently about what you're experiencing. My friend, that's the Holy Spirit of God doing His job. That's what the Holy Spirit is supposed to do. And when I feel that way, whether I'm being convicted because I need to trust Jesus Christ as my Savior, or whether I'm feeling convicted because I have sin in my life, or whether I'm feeling an urging and a pressure and a pushing of the Holy Spirit to surrender my life, to serve God full time, maybe if I'm a young person as a pastor or as a missionary uh, or in some other, uh, other role, then that is not something that is comfortable. I don't believe God's expected or designed it to be comfortable. I think he wants to get us out of our comfort zone so that we can respond to what he's trying to do in our heart. And whenever we get uncomfortable, we feel as if in that moment, hey, uh, I'm the only one that's being spoken to. And when I step out, everyone here is going to look uh, toward me. And, and most of the time, uh, that's just simply not the case. I can promise you this. I can honestly say I've, I don't think that I've ever brought that I can recall a message to the pulpit that was targeted an individual. I tried once at Miss Judy and then she got sick that week and wasn't here. Uh, and so, uh, you know, there are times when I'm being led, if I'm being led by the Holy Spirit, where you should feel as if I've been sitting in your living room all week. But it's not anything to do with me investigating. It's something to do with the Holy Spirit of God leading. And we ought to rejoice and praise God for that. But the fact of the matter is, is that to respond whenever I'm under conviction, especially about sin, to come and to make that right and to come and to say, hey God, uh, I need to come before you and make some things right. You have spoken to my heart. I want to reconcile our relationship. Uh, let's face it, that's an uncomfortable thing. I, I don't make apologies for that. 
I think that that's just an honest assessment. It's uncomfortable. It should be uncomfortable. And my desire to be in fellowship with God should far outweigh my desire to be comfortable or my care of what someone else thinks. If I know in my heart at the end of a service that, hey, there's a, there's a fracture in my relationship with God, the last thing that I should be concerned about is how everyone else is going to respond or what everyone else is going to think. At that point, the only thing that matters is what does God think and how is my relationship with Him repaired. I think it's lost some, uh, it's diminished in our churches because it's not dignified. It's a precious thing to me when somebody comes down the altar and sheds tears up here. I think that's a sweet and a precious thing. I think that that the Bible talks about God and how he relishes and cherishes our tears. It even talks about how he puts them in a bottle. It It is a sacred thing, but... I understand in my human nature, it's an uncomfortable thing. Uh, okay, it's bad enough that I feel like everybody's watching me. And now I've come all the way down here and I'm doing business with God. Uh, but now everybody's watching me uh, make, a, make a blubbering idiot out of myself. And my friends, that's not true at all. Because the vast majority of people that attend a church like this will be rejoicing with you at the shedding of tears. They will be excited that God has spoken to your heart. They'll be excited that God is working and that someone else is responding. And if I'm going to be excited about God working in the life of someone else, then I ought to be excited when God works in my life too. It's not dignified. It's not convenient. Now, I know that right now I sound like I'm trying to argue why all the, and give you all of the excuses to not come. But we'll move past this. One of the things is, and this probably is the most troubling, is that a lot of people don't come to an altar because they, they think, well, I just don't do, we just don't do things like that anymore. I'll just deal with God right here. Now, I would say this, in a service like this or in a revival service, uh, coming to the altar to pray for, uh, to pray for uh, you know, all of the things that I need guidance on for the next 15 years is not the place or the time. I have a prayer closet at home for that. This is a place to respond to what the Holy Spirit as God has done in my heart in this service. I'm not saying this this morning. I'm not preaching this message because I'm trying to coerce people to the altar. Uh, But I am trying to make us aware of how important the altar is in our lives and what God's intent uh, for the altar is. And so the average Christian today, if I were to just take a a poll around the auditorium or as people were coming in this morning and say, hey, uh, how important is the altar and why, I I would have got a lot of hums and haws. I I wouldn't have, I've been doing this long enough to know that there would have been a few people that would have given me a good, godly, biblical, crystal clear answer, but many people, even good, godly people, not having thought of it and just kind of getting blindsided by it would struggle to give an answer. The average Christian today can't tell you why it's important. May I say to you that lives are changed at the altar. Why is it important? Why is it? Because it's where God changes lives. It's where God meets with people. When I gave my heart to Christ, the altar had an impact. When I got saved, the altar mattered. When I I got right with the Lord, when I drifted away, the altar mattered. When God called me to preach, the altar mattered. When when God stirred me or God met with me or God uh, did something significant in my life, the altar was the place where it was solidified. And it wasn't a matter of uh, coming forward and standing up in a big crowd so that everyone could heap praise upon uh, whoever was making decisions that day. It was a matter of 
coming and just humbling myself before God and acknowledging, Holy Spirit of God, you have pierced my heart, you have broken my heart, you have spoken to my heart, you have led my heart, whatever the case may be, and I want to offer myself a sacrifice to that which you have spoken to me about. That's what the altar is. And we uh, consider that and move on this morning. The, the definition of an, of an altar is simply that. Uh, the, by definition, it is a mount, it is a table or an elevated place on which sacrifices are offered to deity. So, Pastor, well, we don't offer sacrifices like that. And what you just described is a, uh, is a, is a pagan practice or a pagan ritual. Uh, and in some cases, that's true. In Israel's day, there were times when they offered their children uh, in sacrifice to Molech and they followed the pagan ways of those around them and they would have had a big table or something where they would have uh, cut the throat of their child and offered in sacrifice or even burned them uh, and thrown them over the uh, maybe a, a cliff. There were many different ways and practices that they went about it. Uh, with Israel, the sacrifice in the tabernacle and then later in the temple uh, was very structured. It was very orderly. Uh, and everyone had a role to play. The head of the household would, uh, would be the one, for, especially in their sin of ato their atonement sin. It was the head of the household as the whole household watched on that had to cut the throat of the animal as the priest uh, caught the blood and then applied and took the sacrifice to the altar and laid it out. Uh, different sacrifices were implemented in different ways. Some did different meanings and different pictures of things to come. But Jesus did away with all of those things. But that doesn't change the fact that the altar is still a place where sacrifice Sacrifices are made to deity. And God has said, I don't need any more animal sacrifice. I don't need any more temporary atonement because in Jesus Christ we have final and full atonement. And so what Jesus Christ has fulfilled is what all of these sacrificial things in the Old Testament were symbolic of, what they pointed to, what they brought about. And so, well, Pastor, how does that relate to me today? Well, even in the Old Testament, they understood at least those who walked with God uh, understood what it was that this pictured, what it symbolized, and what, uh, what God was trying to accomplish. I don't think that all of them understood it at all throughout their history. I think that it was so diminished that many of them lost sight. But David clearly understands in Psalm 51, 17, when he says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. He didn't say the sacrifice is the lamb or the sacrifice is the goat or the sacrifice is this. He said the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Thou wilt not despise, O God. My friends, nothing has changed uh, in the sense of what God's intent is and what God's really looking for. God is not looking for an innocent animal to be slain because the, the lamb of God was slain and his innocence for our sin. What God is looking for is my broken and my contrite heart, my broken spirit. When I have been broken because of my sin, when I have come to realize the importance of what God wants to do in my life and the price that God has paid for me. He reiterates that in the New Testament in the writings of Paul in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 when he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. He says, I'm not asking for something that is, uh, that is ridiculous. I'm not asking for something that's impossible to give. I'm not asking for you to go out and do something that uh, is in our time culturally crude or, uh, or, or hard 
hard to understand. He said, listen, I gave you something in the Old Testament that was symbolic of a Savior who would come. That Savior has come. Your sins have been atoned. My wrath has been satisfied. My mercy is available. My grace is here for all. But I'm telling you this morning that what God's looking for in my life, what God's looking for in your life is when sin creeps in, when God's leadership comes upon me, is for me to not just say, oh, that's great, God, I'm glad you spoke to my heart today. No, he wants a sacrifice made, the sacrifice of a broken and a contrite spirit over sin and a sacrifice that is humbled in the offering of my own life, not in death, but in life. I will live for you. I will give you everything because he gave everything for us. That's what God wants from us. That's what God's longing for from us. And so some thoughts on the altar this morning. The first place that we see the altar in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 8 and verse number 20. It's not a time where they're, uh, <coughs> where they're seeking out uh, God's, uh, God's mercy. Uh, it's not a time when they're seeking God's aid. In fact, they've just gotten off of the ark. All of mankind is destroyed. There's Noah, Ham, Sham, Japheth, and their wives. And that's it, eight people. They've got the animals that have been brought forth through that year and they take and they uh, offer sacrifice and they build an an altar and make a sacrifice to commemorate and to praise God and thank God, not after tragedy, but after great salvation. And the lesson is this, is that I ought to offer my life a sacrifice to God, a living sacrifice to God, because He saved me. Because my sin has been purged and cleansed, because it has been paid for, because I have been brought into the presence of God. From this point forward, every patriarch built an altar to God. Some of them for some different reasons, some of them in different places, some of them built one everywhere that they went. Some uh, would return to ones that they had built in the past. Jacob in particular uh, named the place Bethel or the house of God, uh, and he would come back to that place where God spoke to him. Uh, Great lesson there is that uh, never forget where God speaks to you or has spoken to you. And when you find yourself drifting away and when Jacob found himself in trouble, he didn't just plop up another altar. He went to where he knew God was until God met with him. And he would wrestle with God until he got from God what was necessary and what he needed. But it happened at an altar. It was this place that they deliberately came before God. The altar is a place of great significance in the lives of God's people, not just then, but today. Four things about this this morning as we see here in, in first of all, number one, look in verses one and two. He says there, Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine integrity. I have trusted also in the Lord, therefore I shall not slide. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins and my heart. I would say this, first of all, this morning, that the altar is a searching place. The altar is a searching place. What is the purpose today, Pastor, for our altar? Why is it so important? Because it is a place where I can come to God and say, God, search me. And I'm going to make this clear this morning, too. The altar that's at the front of the church this morning is not the only altar that a Christian should have in their life. There ought to be an altar at your home. I'm not talking about a pagan altar set up in the corner to worship dead ancestors. I'm talking about a place where you meet with God. I'm talking about a place where God speaks to you. 
It might be the corner of a room. It might be in a, in a separate office. It might be uh, in your living room chair uh, in front of your fireplace. It might be uh, someplace, but it's a place that is sacred to you where God speaks to your heart, where the Word of God speaks to your heart, where you come before Him and you're not worship, offering up uh, symbolism or prayer uh, to, uh, to pagan ritualistic things or, uh, or deities, but the one true and living God speaks to you there. I know of, uh, of, of pastors that have had uh, maybe a, even a fleece that they would pray with or, <coughs> or a, um, a, a place that they would go that was sacred to them and it was out of the way. And you see Jesus going into a mount to pray uh, often in the New Testament. But I would say this, the altar is a searching place. It is a place to be sought out. David says two things here, judge me, O Lord. And then he says in verse number two, examine me, O Lord. Those words are important and they mean much. Judge me uh, means to rule or to govern me. To pass sentence upon me. So David comes before God at this altar and he says, God, I want you to be the one who rules and governs my life. I want you to be the one that guides my steps. I want you to judge me. I want you to keep me in line. I want you to point out when I'm straying. I want you to lead me back when I'm drifting. When I'm off course, I want you to set the course. And when I sin, I want you to pass sentence upon me. You say, Pastor, if I'm saved, I know that Jesus Christ is my Savior. My sin's all been paid for. But the passing of sentence in the sense of my relationship and my effectiveness with Him as a son. Restore the relationship, David says. David says, search me. Another place it says, search me, O God, and try my ways and see if there be any wicked way in me. David's heart was even in his sin, and David was a man who created incredibly terrible sin. He was an adulterer. He was a murderer. He was someone who, who at times just lost focus on what it was that he should do in his life, but yet God said that he was a man after my own heart. Because what God is looking for is not necessarily the actions of our life. They are not the be-all and the end-all. It is, do I come back to Him when I'm in sin and when I'm wrong and seek rest restoration and seek fulfillment and seek uh, Him coming to me? And David is saying, judge me, O Lord. I have walked in mine integrity. And David saying, Lord, I'm doing everything I can to walk honestly before you. Judge me. Govern my life. And when I'm wrong, bring sentence upon me. In other words, bring your chastening hand upon me so that I will return to you, so that I will re be restored to you, so that you uh, can live through me and so that you can effectively work in my life. Judge me. Examine me. So, Pastor, isn't it the same thing? Judge me, examine me. Well, not exactly, because examine me means put me to the test. Okay, Lord, judge me. Now put me to the test and make sure that I'm really walking with you. Put me to the test and make sure that my, my sacrifice is really here. Put me to the test and make sure that my Christian life is sincere and pure before you. The altar, my friends, this morning is a searching place. It is a place for me to come before God and say, God, would you search my heart? 
I'm trying to walk in my integrity. I'm trying to walk to please you. I'm trying to learn of you. I'm trying to put my trust in you. And he says that in verse number one, I have trusted also in the Lord, therefore I shall not slide. It's an acknowledgement that as long as God is the governing force of my life, I will stay focused and I will stay on track. But when I take control, when I take authority, when I take my life, that living sacrifice off of the altar, and I assume control that I'm going to drift, I'm going to slide. Judge me. Examine me. Along the lines with examining moves into our second point, and that is this, that the altar is a sifting place. The altar is not only a searching place, but it is a sifting place. Examine me. Try my range. The word sift means to separate or to part. So now I'm saying to God, God, examine me. Or examine me critically, minutely. Scrutinize my life. That's an incredibly powerful thing to say to God. Lord, search me and try my ways and see if there be any wicked way in me. And David comes and he says, listen, uh, this is a place where I've got to be sifted for the glory of God. Uh, Sifting brings purity. He says, try my reins. In other words, uh, and, and the word reins here literally translates kidneys, which refers to or figuratively the mind. Try my thoughts, try my ways, my actions, my, my governing mindset. And then he says, letter B, try my heart. It is a place of purification. We talk about sifting, what we're talking about. When we talk about sifting wheat or sifting flour. We're trying to get the lumps out. We're trying to get imperfection out. We're trying to get uh, any impurities out. Things that weren't properly processed or, uh, or, or crushed or examined or are ready for consumption or for use. If there's a flaw there, the sifting process removes the flaws so that the product is pure. And I'm saying this morning that God wants the product of my life to be pure. God wants to sift us. Satan wants to sift us. Because Satan's just interested in crushing and destroying. God is interested in sifting us so that he can purify us and use us for his glory. When we come to a place where we realize that that is not necessarily always a pleasant process, but the altar is a place to be sifted for the glory of God. It's a searching place. Verse number two, it's a sifting place. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Put me to the test. Try my reins. And my heart, thirdly, consider that not only it is a place uh, to be examined and a place to be uh, sifted and tested, purified, but it is a slaying place. Thirdly, the altar is a slaying place. Notice verse number six. I will wash mine hands in innocency. You know what happens when you go to an altar or when he would go to an altar and make a sacrifice? He would be bloody. The shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. You cannot go, and they could not go in their system of worship to offer sacrifice and stay clean. They went because they were dirty with sin, and they left bloodstained and had to wash. The priest would wash ceremonially in the labor and and, and to show and to, to show that process of cleansing because the altar is a place of cleansing. And what David is saying here is saying, listen, understand that this altar is a place where things come to die. 
That hasn't changed, my friends. This is a place where people die. It's a pastor where the blood stains. Well, the blood stains that make our death on an altar like this are on an old record cross. The death that he's looking for is the death of this mortal man, this flesh. The way that Paul put it, he said, I must die to self. What Paul said was, I die daily. He didn't mean that he was committing suicide every day. He still kept writing the word of God. He still kept establishing churches. He still kept reaching out to those around him. He still kept loving those that were opposing themselves and trying to help them recover themselves from the snare of the devil, as is recorded in Timothy, uh, but in one of the Timothys. But uh, here's Paul, and he's writing here uh, that God wants a living sacrifice, but God still wants the sacrifice. And what an altar to us should be is a place when God speaks to our heart that we come and we lay ourselves here and we die to self. That we die, that the old man is slain, that the old nature is slain, so that when we rise up in Christ, we rise a new creation, a resurrected man or a resurrected woman to walk not in the power of this flesh, but in the power of the Spirit of God to make a difference for God's glory. If you're here this morning and it's kind of hard to understand, just imagine this, that when Jesus Christ died for me on Calvary's cross, He offered Himself a sacrifice and His blood was shed. And then He was laid in a grave for three days. And while He was in that grave, His body was in that grave, His Spirit was with His Father and in the depths of hell, conquering death and hell, leading captivity captive. And He rose victorious over death and hell with the keys thereof. And He got up out of that grave. And He walked with His disciples for 40 days and He taught them and He trained them and He prepared them. And then He ascended to God the Father and He's there now preparing a place for us and making intercession for us. That's what Jesus is doing. We're here. And Jesus says, I want your body a living sacrifice. We picture that when we have baptism. It's one of the reasons why, though there are many, but it's one of the reasons why we don't uh, sprinkle water on people and call it baptism. Or pour a cup of water on their head because it doesn't picture what God intends our life to be. When Jesus Christ saved my soul, His intent was that the old me would die and that He would make in me a new creation in Christ, that He would take me and resurrect me. And so when we baptize someone, we immerse them completely under the water because it symbols as they stand there their death on the cross with Christ and then it symbols their burial with Christ in a grave and it symbols that the old man dead in the grave is no more but a new man is resurrected to walk in the newness of life under the spirit of God that's the power of the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ it is the power to slay this old man but the old man likes to resurrect too the old flesh likes to get up And when the old flesh gets up, I need to be at an altar with God 
I need to be where God speaks to me and where God brings me back in line and what God is saying to me, whether he's correcting my sin, whether he's changing my course, whether he's guiding my steps, whether he's placing his call on my life, whatever major decision I have in my life, whatever it is that God speaks to you about during a service like this or any other, what that should culminate with if God has spoken to me is my death on an altar, my living sacrifice on an altar. God, the old me is dead, and I offer myself to you a living sacrifice. That's never completely fulfilled in a pew, my friend. That's never completely satisfied. I'm, I, and I don't even know how to explain it other than to say from experience and from what I've seen God do that there is much to be said, and there is great change of life in an old-fashioned altar that simply does not happen sitting out here. God speaks to your heart out there. God accepts your sacrifice up here. An altar is a slaying place. Is it a place for me to come and to slay my sin? Is it a place, is it a place for me to come and to slay my flesh? It is a place for me to come and to lay my desires that I know are detrimental to my pleasing of God and to lay them here and to give them to God so that God can give me victory over them. The altar this morning is a searching place. It's a sifting place. It's a slaying place. And lastly, this morning, the altar is a staying place. The altar is a staying place. Notice verse number six. I will wash my hands in innocency. So will I compass thine altar Oh God, notice verse 12. My foot standeth in an even place. In the congregations will I bless the Lord. It's the significance here. Listen, if you'll stay in the altar, you'll stay close to God. If I'll stay on my knees, if I'll stay on the altar, if I'll keep my sacrifice on the altar, then God will stay near to me. Daniel described a daily sacrifice. It wasn't something that was to be periodic. Daniel was in Babylon. Daniel was not in a place where there was the temple at Jerusalem. Daniel had been removed, but yet he speaks and describes it a daily sacrifice. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, as I mentioned earlier, says, I die daily. Now, the thing that's interesting to me about verse number 12, my foot standeth in an even place. Why is that so important? Because we're kind of accustomed to sidewalks and streets where things are relatively level, and we can get down and we can get good, good standing, uh, and, and we can uh, keep good balance. We can even uh, engage in some uncomfortable struggles at times, and if you've got good balance and good leverage, uh, then you have a good chance of, uh, of maintaining or achieving victory. But their life was lived on the side of, a, uh, of unpaved roads, and, uh, and, and dirt roads and washed out roads and on trails in the mountains and where the sheep were. and uh, It was hard to get to a place where there was even. And so if one foot was down low and one foot was up high and they were on gravel, it was hard to get easy footing. My foot is in an even place. I'm not off balance. I'm not slipping and sliding. I'm not falling down. My foot, David says, as he's told us that 
uh, in verse 6, that I will compass the altar, thine altar, O Lord. My foot standeth in an even place. In the congregations will I bless the Lord. I cannot make myself right with God and walk with God and offer a sacrifice to God and retreat to a life of, uh, of being a hermit. I must go to the congregation and live for God. The altar, a place to do business with God. It's an old poem. It says the altar is a special place that brings me close to God. I'm ushered to the throne of grace. I'm spared his chastening rod. It's there I offer sacrifice and give to him my best. I gain a glimpse of paradise and enter into rest. It is the place I slay my sin and gain sweet victory. It is the place I enter in like him I want to be. It's on this altar I unite as one with mighty God. My life, my all are his delight till he lifts me from this sod. It's a place to be with God. There's a place to commune with God. There's a place to get right with God. There's a place to get guidance and leadership from God. There's a place, an old altar, that is a searching place. It's a sifting place. It's a slaying place. And if we'll let it be, It'll be a staying place. It keeps us close to him. It keeps us in his service. And it keeps his blessing upon our life.